And one of the soldiers said, can I have this book? And our like cook, Ira, you know, she is just a strong-willed person. She said, you can take the book only if you bring it back. And he did not expect that. He says, okay, I will try and get it back to you. The Drive Home with Kenton Dick on Mix 96. I've got a very special guest in the studio today, Oksana Druchina, uh, who's actually a refugee from Ukraine and works with the Mennonite Center in Ukraine. This is an organization that former mayor of Steinbeck, Chris Gertsen, is a board member of. Now, Oksana, start by telling me a little bit about your role with the Mennonite Center Ukraine. Let's start with what you do there, kind of before everything erupted just uh, uh, 100 days ago. I have been with the Mennonite Center for the past 15 years, and I started as an accountant there, and for the last uh, seven years, I've been the manager and accountant. So basically, I am the person who runs the <laughs> the place. A small organization, yeah. so you take on yeah. a few roles. Yeah, yeah. we have 10 staff. And uh, so I, our primary mission is to help people that are in need in the former Mennonite Villages. This is where the Mennonites lived 100 years ago. This is where they left 100 years ago. And this is where they want to go back and help people there. So before this whole war started, we had something that started before, and that was COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that actually changed a little bit of how we deal, dealt with things. And uh, at first, we were just about to close and because of the restrictions and stuff. But then we kind of sat down and said, what's going to happen to all these seniors, people who were coming to have their food? Because a lot of these people don't even have stoves to cook on. So we just dressed up this, in these uniforms, gloves, masks and everything. And we went to their homes and we looked like zombies, but people <laughs> cried when they saw us. So that was pre-war. And if you yeah. want pre-COVID, then we did a lot of other things. We had clinics, we had people coming to see doctors, which they didn't have access in our town, and they, we w doctors would prescribe medications for them. We would have seniors come inside Mennonite Center, mm -hmm. around 80 seniors uh, a day. We fed them twice a week. And they would communicate, they would have fellowship, they would sing songs, and basically we were like a community center for for seniors in our area. We've done a lot of uh, support, like we worked with schools and kindergartens, hospitals, police and firemen, well, you name an organization and, uh, you know, we've helped them. So honestly, to tell you, there is not a single organization in our area that we have not helped. Sure. And been a, and been a part of worked with. Yeah. As part of the community. Yeah, as part of the community. Sure. So we, we've done a lot of stuff and yeah, if you want to talk about it, it'll take hours. <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah. So basically before, okay. All right. Uh, well, just moving, moving uh, kind of through the timeline because obviously the last hundred days, a little bit more than that mm -hmm. has been tumultuous to say the least. Tell me a little bit about the start of the uh, Russian invasion, what that was like for you and your organization there. Well, uh, a few weeks, maybe even a month before, uh, our chair of the board, Elvin Suderman, we were in constant contact with him, like weekly contact. He was started asking me questions about this invasion. Mm -hmm. And he said, Oksana, the war may start. And we're like, it's not going to start. And so we've had these conversations every week. 
And uh, what was interesting that he finally said to me, you know what? You may think it's silly, which me and my staff, we all thought it was so silly. I would come to work and tell them what Elvin would tell me, and we were laughing at that, you know, because we just thought it was just unreal, you know, because Russians, they're our friends, they're, you know, like our brothers. And so basically, he ordered me to buy a food supply. And so we went to the store, like to Zaporizhia, it's a bigger center, and we bought like a van full of food. We brought it to the center and again with the staff we were, say, we were thinking, okay, we're going to have this for years probably because we've had 2014. This is where we also bought supply and we've, like, we've had some of the stuff still sitting there in the basement, like medical supplies and stuff. We never needed that. So we actually thought that this will kind of come down and nothing will happen. But the situation got a bit serious and I thought, you know, like, we always thought that if, even if Russians would take, you know, would, would invade, I, we thought that our area wouldn't be safe. So for me, it was safer to take kids to Kiev. This is where my parents live. This is where I come from. Sure. And so my husband, he put us on the train on February 23rd to go to Kiev. And uh, the morning I, like, I was just about to, enter Kiev, I read on the news that Kiev was under bombing. And there I was, I was trying to get my kids safe, and I brought them right to where it all started. So I didn't know what to do. Elvin called me on the train. He says, Oksana, well, try going to Lviv. I looked at the tickets, and the train for Lviv left just five minutes before we would arrive to Kiev. So we were desperate. I called my husband. I said, jump in the car and come to Kiev because we we will need to leave the country. And fortunately, my kids and myself, we had Canadian visas. So with the help of some volunteers, we got to the border and we stood at the border for nine hours to cross. But that wasn't bad because we were brought straight to the border. Some of the people that were in the line with us had to stand for six hours to wait for a bus. And then and they had to walk for 50 kilometers Oof. to get to the border. And that was with small children. So there I was feeling like it was like a miracle that we just waited for nine hours. We didn't have to walk. Yeah. And then we spent a few days in Germany. And then we finally came to Frankfurt Airport. And these people there at the desk said, you can't go because your kids are not vaccinated. And I said, you know what? I'm from Ukraine. And I'm fleeing with my three children. And they said, wait a minute, well, call security border in Canada and have them authorize your coming. And they did. And so we came to the airport and I asked the person at the desk, I said, how many Ukrainians have come? And he says, you are the first ones so far. So I feel like we were the first (laughs) ones landing, like who landed in Vancouver airport. So that's the story of our escape. Yeah. Well, and, and back and back at the Mennonite Center, I mean, things escalated very quickly. I understand it was only about three days before Russian soldiers were in the area. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and how your staff in the area were handling things? Well, at first, we weren't sure if we were going to continue our work because we didn't know whether the banking system would work, how are we going to transfer money there. But you know what? And we decided we would give it a try. So we wired $25,000 you know, and it came in two days. It was in the account. And so we were so happy. We knew that now if we do fundraisings, we could actually say to people that money is going to Ukraine, because what's the point? You know, like if you can't get it there, if you can't get it there, you just store it here. Yeah. So basically, 
Oh, the Russian occupation came very quickly, you know, like it was in a few days. And these were the soldiers that would go around from house to house. They were basically taking notes of everybody who lived there. Just they wanted to know what's going on. And they were asking about what their what are their political views. People were terrified. And the food supply suddenly got very short. We were so fortunate we had that food supply that we've bought, that we thought was so silly, but that was something that we've been using. But that was not for a long time because we very soon it like we had a lot of people coming to the management center saying that we have no food we have no money and but we did have some suppliers that we worked really like we worked for many years and they knew what kind of work we were doing so what happened somehow some of them had stores in the villages that they were closing so they would bring all their food supplies to the management center so we can help people we can wow. cook meals we can put together food hampers and give them out so basically we ended up feeding like from 120 as I already mentioned to 500 meals and we have given out around like thousands and thousands of food hampers. These are the families with children and we've also been helping with medical supplies because all the pharmacies closed down and the only way to get medications into our area was to smuggle them in. Mm. That's a terrible <laughs> thing to say, but this is what we did. We had some people that we worked before. Actually, one of those people is a dance teacher. He taught my children how to dance. And he was in Zaporizhia, and he was trying to help his people, and he was buying medications and somehow connected with the ambulance, local ambulance, and the ambulance was bringing those medications, delivering them to the management center, and we were able to distribute them. So this is how we've been working over the past. Kind of having to break the rules, something you don't usually want to do. Yeah, to save some people because the death rates have grown. Mm. People, especially people with cancer, like a lot of people have died just because they were not able to get medications. Yeah, it's not so, it's not just casualties in war. Yeah. It's also yeah other casualties. Now, just to be clear, you said that you were serving about 120 hot meals a day before this, and now it's about 500. And that's in addition to all the food hampers. Yes. Wow. And, and and tell me, I know that you had mentioned, you know, working with others. So many people came out of the woodwork. Is that just because of the great work that you'd done over the last number of years that people knew you were somebody that could help? Yeah, because we've been there for people when when they've gone through difficult times. And for example, this like working with the music school, for example, this teacher who delivers medications right now, sometimes he even risks his life. He Sometimes he just needed costumes. Some like there was a case when one of his students had cancer and needed chem chemotherapy. They came to us and we paid for the chemo for them. So they knew what we were doing. Mm. They knew all these seniors who would come and have meals. So and he was not the only one. Like we worked with probation officers that we've helped. We helped their clients with food too. And um, yeah, we have a lot of connections there, and people are thankful. They know what we're doing. They know what we stand for, and and they stepped up, and they started helping, too. And sometimes we work together now yeah. on different projects, and we make things happen for, for others. It's amazing because none of those things were self-serving. You didn't expect to have to ask later on for help in a situation like this, but those connections meant something and now when you are in need 
they're there to help you. So you didn't even do it on purpose, but here no, we are. Just, yeah. yeah so tell me a little bit about what you're able to do. Obviously, you're in Canada now, uh, joining us here in Steinbeck, which is pretty incredible. But tell me what you guys are doing now and how you guys are going about doing that. I know you've mentioned a little bit, but how do you kind of help out from this distance? So basically, with all the connections that we have with different organizations, our, our staff is still on the ground in Malachansk in our area. And this is like they're doing the main work. They're doing the food hampers. They're feeding the people. They're distributing medications. That's one our like our biggest thing. But we partner with around 15 different organizations all over Ukraine. And these organizations, they particularly work with like refugees or misplaced people. A lot of these people have lost their homes and uh, they don't have anywhere to go back to. We we work with organization who works with blind people. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people had to be like misplaced, basically taken out of their environment and put somewhere where they don't know where they are. And it's hard enough for people who can see. Can you imagine how it is for people who can't see? So we've been working with those. We've been working for like with a lot of different contexts in areas which are occupied. They're also doing tremendous job. And again, it's food, medications, it's hygiene, and it's cleaning supplies, things that you can't buy in the store anymore. But we somehow were able to provide because of our connections, because of our good reputation, and people knew what we were doing, what we, you know. Now, I can see you're obviously in action mode, helping, (laughs) uh, flying. I'm assuming that you're on the phone all the time and emails, etc. But at the same time, this is your home that we're talking about. This has got to be a real challenge for you as well. It is a challenge. It's uh, You just hope that it will stay stay there because right now it's under occupation and with all your heart, you it's all against your nature. You don't want your home to be taken away from you. But on the other hand, you realize that if Ukrainian army will come and they will want to take that area back, Mm-hmm. The whole town is going to be destroyed. So you don't know what to actually hope for. Do you want it to stay standing or, you know, you, you don't want. So, yeah, you really have like mixed feelings. You don't know if you're going to see your family again. Meanwhile, you're here in good conditions and people are fighting for their life there. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. We really we really feel for you. Now, I understand you had one more story specifically you had to share, and then I have one more question for you after that. One time, I had a phone call in the middle of the night. It was a day in Ukraine, and one of my staff was telling me, Oksana, what is your safe PIN code at your office? And at that moment, I could not remember. I just, normally, you just kind of dial these numbers, and you don't even think about it. Muscle memory. You just yeah. do it without thinking. And and I... I couldn't remember. I told her what it could be, and she says, no, it's not It's not the one. And later I found out that she, we had soldiers come into the Manai Center in fully armed with machine guns, and they were looking, you know, like to see what's going on. And they wanted that password to see what's in the safe. But nothing was there, but still I ran to my computer, and I was trying to get a picture of the safe online so I can remember, you know. And so finally I did, and I... By that time, like the the phone was cut off. I couldn't get a hold. I was trying to call them, but th- they did not respond. And at that moment, I thought, I hope it didn't cost. It, they did not lose their lives because of that. Yeah. And so then later, she called me, 
they got into the office. They, when she said them, nothing is in the safe. They're okay with that. But I had all these files, you know, like folders with information that of all the projects that we've had. And they said like um, medical aid, individual ha- like aid institutions and stuff like that. And so they started asking questions. What are these? you know, files. And they said, this is the work that we're doing. We're helping people with medications. And they kind of looked through all the pages. They saw lists of people. It's hundreds of people that we've helped over the years. And then they would carry on and go around the building, seeing different pictures of the projects. And we have a book. It's called Mennonite Architecture. And it's about the history of the Mennonites. And since the soldiers are Russian, some of the sections were from Russia, like about Russia. And one of the soldiers said, can I have this book? And our, like, cook, Ira, you know, she is just a strong-willed person. She said, you can take the book only if you bring it back. And he did not expect that. He says, okay, I will try and get it back to you. And so he got the book, and before he left the Manor Center, he said, keep on the work. You're doing good work. Another question that he asked, where do you stand politically here in this situation? And they said to him, we do not talk about politics at work. We know where we all stand, but we never discuss that at work, and we're here to help people. And so he gave her a phone number. He said, if you ever need help, just give us a call. And it was not long after they made that phone call. A few weeks later, my husband's brother was trying to leave the area, and he was pulled out of the car by Russians. And we didn't know what happened to him. And he was gone for six days. Normally, at that time, if person was gone for three days, it was likely that he would have been killed. Yeah. So that phone call was critical because she called him and he said, he is somebody who works for us and he wa- we want him back. After one hour, he was brought back and he said, he is here under your responsibility. So we're not only helping people, but we're also rescuing some yeah so that's the story and i think that's a good one (laughs) (laughs) i think it's a good one too i can corroborate that i have one more question for you and that is uh simply what is your message uh, to the people of the southeast coming from this situation do you have a message for us something you want to relay one thing that i want to say that we've been working like we've been functioning for 20 years and we've um We've been in need, and we've received a lot of support from Canada, in, like especially from Canada. And I just want to express my gratitude. Mm. We've been doing so much over these years, but the work that we're doing now is even greater. And the income that we're getting, you know, the, the, the number of donations and the money that we're spending now is incredible. And it's all because of generosity, generosity of Canadians. And so I would like to thank them. And uh, if, you ha- if you don't know where to donate, we know how to spend your money and make somebody else's life better. Absolutely. Thank you for talking with us, for joining us and for sharing your story, yeah. Sana. It's my pleasure. Now, we've also got Chris Gertzen in the studio, of course, former mayor of Steinbeck, also helping with the settlement of Ukrainian refugees and a member of the board for the Mennonite Center Ukraine. Um, tell me a little bit about what the last 100 days has looked like for you. 
You know, it's been very interesting. Obviously, we've been, uh, for 20 years, we've been doing really good work in the Zaporozhye uh, region and uh, specifically in former Mennonite uh, uh, communities. And uh, that work continues. Uh, We thought for a while that when the war started, that we would have to leave, that we would have to leave people and leave the needs uh, that are great behind. But thankfully, through our staff, uh, through the great work that that they've been doing, uh, we're able to continue. In fact, we're even more powerful and more have bigger influence uh, on the good of of those communities in this time of war. So uh, it's been uh, really quite a, a hundred days uh, of uh, excite exciting, uh, emotional time, but it's uh, it's rewarding to see the help that we're giving. Pre-war, your work with the Mennonite Center was probably a fairly small part of your overall workload in life. That must have changed a little bit. Well, it certainly did change. Uh, it becomes uh, preoccupying to know that uh, you have friends and you have people who uh, you know well uh, living in a war, uh, situation of war. And uh, to uh, to deal with that on a daily basis and also to know that people want to help here in, in Manitoba and, and across Canada is uh, is quite something. You know, people have been very generous. People know the good work that's been going on, and they want to help. And it's been really great to see people continue to contribute to an organization that can make a real difference in people's lives very quickly. And to have Oksana here must be uh, fascinating for you to be able to chat and do all that. It's wonderful to see Oksana. Usually we would see Oksana in Ukraine working hard. And here she's in Canada, able to tell the story uh, of what we do, of what she has gone through. And uh, I think uh, people will find it interesting. And it will also give them a perspective of... uh, what daily life is like there and, and, and the challenges that people are facing in Ukraine. Oksana mentioned the giving that has been happening, and you did as well. If people still want to give, if they want to be a part of this, how can they do that? Well, very simply, they can go to MennoniteCenter.ca and give there or HelpForUkraine.ca. Uh, both those places they can give, uh, uh, and uh, there's, uh, there are options there. It's really important that we continue to make a difference in people's lives. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.